So I have, I have just one announcement for you and as we begin here, and that is, this is James Fairfield's last Sunday with us. It's sad, so if you see him, give him a hug, especially if you're really sweaty after the service. Okay? Um, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little manic about this whole thing, I'm like, I love you, James. I hate you, James. I love you. I hate you. You know, it's so... I go back and forth a lot. So, yeah, just wipe your sweat on him and say, this is my gift to you. Go with God. That kind of thing. Uh, but seriously, if you do see him today, uh, thank you. James has been uh, here with us since the beginning. He's been here seven years. Uh, we planted Element seven years ago. James, from the very beginning, has been with us. And so we're really excited about the new things that are coming in his life. And if you would just see him today, just say, hey, thanks, and, and hug him again. Uh, give your sweat to them. Also, if you uh, have a kid in high school, this Thursday night they are going for a night in the park. Usually uh, youth people start at 6.30 on Thursday. It's starting at 6, so have your kid here a little bit earlier for that, and then uh, they'll ride over there and ride back, and they'll take care of all of that. So welcome to Element. If you are newer, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all these communion tables around the room. Look like this. They got this little thing on here for you to color in case they get more and you want to fall asleep. You can color and stay awake. Better grab them. It's the last week that we're going to have these because we're changing series this next week. So, or not, whatever. Okay. Uh, inside, you'll get some notes, some questions that go along with the message to go a little bit deeper. On the back, there's some announcements. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on Live and Uversion. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get the sermon notes, the verses, the questions, all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me, reading of God's Word. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 39. And it says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Let's pray. Father, this morning I asked you to teach us what it means to really have faith in who you are that we would trust you for the things that you've said, that we trust you for the things that you continue to do, that our lives in the end would look different because you are making changes in our lives and that we would love and honor and glorify you by how we live. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is our last week of our series called Coming Book All-Stars. We run through all the people you would find in a kid's Bible coloring book. Uh, next, or next week, we're going to sort of continue this series, but not really. We're calling it Legends of the Fall. After that, you know, horrible Brad Pitt movie. You're welcome. Um, but And so these are all going to be like the bad guys. Sometimes you find those in the Bible coloring book, but most time you don't. So we're going to cover the bad guys. Like the first week, we're going to look at Adam and Eve, because in the end, all of this, you know, misery, and that, that's their fault. We're going to blame them. They're patient zero. That That's how it goes. Now, uh, as for today, I debated if I was going to do Jesus as one of the coloring book all-stars, not because he isn't. I mean, he's like the ultimate, right? But I thought you might think I was taking the easy way out. Like, oh, Jesus, that one's easy. He's Jesus, right? So I got I to gotta way not take the easy way out here. I'm going to give you a little bit of story, a little bit of history, uh, what it means for us. And I think it's going to be just different for you. Hopefully, I'll, something will just come alive for you today. I, I got a way in my brain how it's supposed to turn out for you, and the light goes on and click, and you become you know, so much more in love with Jesus because of it. I got these grand plans. They never work out right, never, never at all. But don't disappoint me. Even if it's horrible, tell me it was great. Okay. You guys are horrible. Okay, so here's your coloring book pictures for the day. Uh, this first one, uh, this is Mike. He is 39.5 years old. Not 40 yet. Uh, he's actually our drummer. And this is Mason. This is his son. Mason's eight years old. So, 
Yeah, I know it's like, well, his is cool. It's sweet, right? So here's the kind of the cool thing. Both of them, both their angels on the side have like these headdresses all colored funky. They're Hawaiian. Can you tell? It's like, Kamehameha, Kamehameha, Jesus out the tube, come. Right? All right. So there, if you, if you want a color, you can do it. Compare against that. There you go. That, that's not offensive, right? I never know. Sometimes I say some people go, you shouldn't say it. That was really offensive. But no one told me that was offensive after first service, so I think I'm okay. Whatever. <laughs> Nobody makes fun of Hawaiians. That's okay. All right. So uh, open, to Matthew ch- open to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at the story in Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. It is the story of Jesus walking on the water. And I know I said I'm going to give you something new. I am. But if you heard this story once, you've heard it a thousand times. But we're going to kind of walk through it, understand who Jesus better is because of what he's doing in the story. Matthew 14, verse 22. This comes after Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a few uh, small fish and a few loaves of bread. Matthew 14, 22 starts like this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. Jesus kind of does this a lot. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, the word beaten by the waves, that, that is the word like tormented, like it's a huge squall. The Sea of Galilee is known for crazy windstorms and storms that would come up onto this sea. And so essentially the disciples have a headwind and they cannot make it to the other side. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, this is between 3 and 6 a.m., he, that's Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. Like you do, like you do. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. It's like you have those nightmares and one day you wake up and the nightmare is like real. It's right in front of you. Did you watch Doctor Who? This would be like, don't blink. And the weeping angels. Okay, we got five people. Okay. Way to go, geeks. We're all here. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. In the Greek, this, it is I, these are the words ego ami. This is how the Greek translation of the Old Testament translated God's personal name from Exodus chapter 3 when God speaks to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus says, I am, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, Peter has already seen the wind and the waves. He's been in the boat. He's looked at it. But then he gets out of the boat. And it's a whole other thing to see them when you're in the boat and then when you get out of the boat. It's kind of like me and working out. I got all these ideas. I'm going to run a couple miles. I'm going to lift some weights. It's going to be great. And I see all in my head. And then I get out of the boat and I actually go and start running. And I'm like, this stinks. Start lifting weights. And I'm like, ah! This is horrible. What is up with this? It happens all the time. One writer says this. It's one thing to experience the wind while you're sitting in the boat. It is quite another to experience it while walking on the water. Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. This has the connotation of caught him when he was falling, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, some people think Jesus is reaming Peter here like he's angry at Peter, but he's not. In Greek, this is a conjugated noun. It combines little person with faith. He's like saying small faith person. It's how you would talk to a child. It's like, Peter, I want to grow you. It's, it's very tender in what he says. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The context has the connotation of immediately. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. So, so there's the story. Now, obviously, a key part of the story is faith, right? 
Right, okay? How to have faith in the midst of a storm, how to deal with faith in the midst of doubt when things are buffeting your, your life. Uh, John Ortberg even wrote a book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat, and it's great. It's where everyone wants to go with it because it's easy and it's true, okay? It's easy and, and it's true. But what if you take a step back from that and you, and you figure out what if most people, even Christians, don't understand the word faith? They don't understand the word faith, and it would also lead to a messed up view of doubt, which would also lead to a messed up view of Jesus in the midst of the story. So what I want to do to you today is I want to talk to you about faith and doubt and Jesus and how this all kind of works together in the context of this story. Have you ever prayed for somebody like that's been sick? Anybody? Okay. Whether it's your dry, little flare prayer, oh, God, please help so-and-so, and like you pray, okay, like that. Uh, I'm a pastor. It happens to me a lot. People ask me to pray for people all the time. I have been in groups where we prayed for somebody. I have been in groups where I haven't led the prayer. I've just been part of it, and other people have led the prayers. I've even been in a couple of people who had different theology than I do. I have been in one where somebody actually quoted Matthew 9.29, where Jesus heals two blind men, and he says, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And so this person looks at everybody in the room and says, according to our faith, God's going to do this thing. So we have to have faith. So what essentially this person does is tells everybody in the room, according to your faith, is if this guy's going to be healed or not. So, like, no pressure, right? Sweet, this is great. So all of a sudden, this person's life is now in my hands, and I better not doubt or they're dead. Like, my doubt equals their death. Like, if they died, be like, it was that guy. I had total faith, man. Right, this guy right here wasn't me. Right? You start pawning off other people. So you got a room full of people trying to convince themselves of faith. Like, God is in heaven with a gun to this person's head saying, look, if I got a whiff of doubt, he's dead. A boom, like that. you got to convince yourself that they're going to be healed. I sit back and I think, okay, when did Jesus stop being Jesus and turn into Al Capone? When, when did that happen? But this is what faith is like to some people. And that kind of thinking really goes everywhere. Even if it's not regard to what you think of faith, we do it other places. Like, what, what if someone believes the Bible is God's word, and yet they struggle with some of the stories? Like, like, how about, what if you don't believe the seven days of creation are a literal seven days, or maybe they're longer than seven days, or the seven days refers to something else entirely? Where is the line of true faith and what constitute life-shattering doubt? Can someone have doubts and yet still be saved? And I get questions like this all the time. Like, again, God's in heaven with a gun to everybody's head, and you've got to figure out your theology. Exactly right. He's going to fire the hell bullet straight at you, and it's going to hit, and you're, and you're going to go. And don't think that I'm saying there's not a right way to believe. I believe there is. Listen to me. I'll tell you what it is. Hey? Okay? I am serious about that, by the way. But clearly, Scripture will make a defined line between what are called open-handed and closed-handed issues. We've talked about this multiple times in the series that we've done recently. Closed-handed issues are ones we die over. The deity of Jesus Christ, the cross, the resurrection, salvation. But what about a literal or metaphorical creation account? Open-handed issue. Was Jesus born in 3 BC, 3 AD, 0, right on the dot? What, what was it? Open-handed issue. You know, is there a rapture? What does it look like? When is it going to take place? Open-handed issue. Are spiritual gifts for today, or have they all ceased? Open-handed issue. But what has happened is we become like Republicans and Democrats in Congress, and we cannot come together on anything. We all just want to argue with everybody. And the church has kind of started to create this culture where people can't have open, honest dialogue about anything anymore because we're afraid we might be confronted with something beyond what we have been taught. And it can lead to this fear of learning, of not wanting to learn different things, refusing to look at facts. And we become a people who have to have it all together, have all the right answers, and be certain of them all the time, and not 
expand our view and look at anything else, and we become judgmental know-it-alls. But what about real faith? Can you be saved and still have doubts about certain things? Of course. Of course. God is not the anal Al Capone theology professor that has a litmus test of how certain you can make yourself feel before he saves you. Because we are told in Romans 9.16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Our salvation rests in his hands. It all comes down to who Jesus is. What you have to understand about faith is faith in the Bible is what is called a covenantal concept. A covenantal concept. It's based in the person of Christ, but it's based in a relationship with the person of Christ. Biblical faith is like saying I do when you get married. It's a pledge given in faith to another person, and it starts with God to us. God pledges himself to us in love, in grace, in mercy. You see him do this all the way back to Abraham in Genesis. God pledges himself. I will send my son. My son will come, and he will save People, God pledges himself, starts with him. We respond to commit our loves to him no matter how we feel at a given time. Now, this year, my wife and I are going to be married 23 years, okay? It's, it's so funny. People do that. Woohoo! Yeah! And I'm like, okay, we haven't made it 24 yet, but, you know, I, okay. <laughs> All right, 23. Okay. Now, when I married her, I believed certain things about her. I believed that she was godly, honest, that she was beautiful, But I believed those things, but I didn't exercise faith when I believed. I exercised faith when I said I do. That's when I exercised faith. Biblical faith is not mere belief. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons have belief. The demons probably understand God and his person better than you do. They really probably do. That biblical faith is acting on the belief that we say that we have. I mean, it isn't even being certain all the time. Like when I married my wife, we weren't certain about everything we thought about the other person. Like, I will tell you, I turned out to be a lot more crazy than she ever thought I was. All right? But I hoped we'd live happily ever after, but there's no certainty in that. I said I do, and then we live life together. We live life based upon that faith. We acted on our belief of loving and trusting each other. It's not always striving for certainty and making myself feel a certain way. It's striving and living in faithfulness because God has first been faithful to us. It's understanding that we love because God has first loved us, that we bless because God has first blessed us. Jesus is always faithful to us. It's being able to act even at times when we feel uncertain. Does that make sense? Okay, I did a horrible job. We're going to start from the top again. No. Let's look at Peter, okay? Let's look at Peter. Peter's not certain when he climbs out of the boat. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come. So if it's Jesus, he has great confidence in the person. If it's you, I'm going to get out of this boat. If you're a crazy sea ghost, not so much. But if it's you, I'll I'll come. Biblical faith isn't about how much bluster you can muster up about your faith or how well you explain it backwards and forwards. I mean, sometimes it, it can contain those things. But really, in the end, it becomes how willing we are to act on the things that we say we believe. I think it's one of the reasons why the gospel writers constantly say Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. How did Jesus see their faith? By their actions, by by what they did, how they acted it out. You see the actions. Faith 
is acting out what we believe. It's a different orientation than a lot of people have in their lives. And I'm not saying you're saved by your works. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when God comes in and starts to change our hearts and our lives, we begin to live differently. It simply starts to happen. And we don't need to wrestle through all these tough issues and arguments sometimes. I mean, sometimes we do, but we don't always need to do that. I mean, you may never have all the answers to some of these people who can talk incessantly about things you don't care anything about. You may never have all the answers to them. The one thing we should be focused on is the person of Jesus. And when we are confident in him, our actions begin to show it. Our lives begin to change. For some people, it's a slow process, and God does the work day by day by day. Some people, it's dramatic change. One day to the next, it's like, boom, saves them, and they're like totally different the next day. A lot of us, we're like, Moses, we're slow learners. I get it, and God takes some time with us. But you have to understand that we all begin to change, and we have true faith and true grace and true hope in who Jesus is. The question for us becomes, are we confident enough to live as a trustworthy bride to our great bridegroom? See, one of the worst things we can do today is convince ourselves that if we have the right beliefs, it doesn't matter how we live. It matters how we live. Today, 80% of Americans claim to believe in Jesus. For 75% of that 80%, it makes no difference in how they live. Their lives are indistinguishable from people who say they have no faith at all. It doesn't matter if you go to 50 Bible studies a week or you can quote the Bible backwards and forwards. If you're still a jerk, what difference does it make? Do you really believe in Jesus if it's not changing your life? If you're not following him, at least changing small incremental ways and moving farther and farther into who he calls you to be, because that's biblical faith. Now, biblical faith is willing to act on what you believe to be true. In the story today, that means that Peter actually got out of the boat. So we've got to ask ourselves, do we really have faith? And if we do, what does that faith look like? And how does it manifest in our confidence in Jesus? Do we sacrifice for the kingdom of God in our lives? Do we sacrifice all to ourselves? Because worship is sacrifice. How do you love your enemies, the people that irritate you? How, how do you love them? Like, I just wish they'd die. Or do you like, oh, you know, God, I don't like them. I'm going to pray for them, and maybe you'll bring reconciliation one day between us. I hope not, but maybe you will, you know. I mean, how has your life changed since trusting Jesus? When people get baptized, that's one of the questions we ask. How is your life different now than it was before? Because when you look at Jesus, everything, when your life is found in him, everything begins to change because it's focused on him. Now, Peter has faith, and Jesus is doing something very interesting in this story. He's blowing apart all of their preconceived ideas about who Jesus is by coming and walking on the water. And I want to walk through this a little bit with you because I think your view of him will expand because of this as well. Psalm 77, verse 16 says, When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Now, that's a weird verse, right? You know, why does water tremble when God is near? And you'll see this a lot in the Old Testament. The waters convulse around God. The waters fear God. In Genesis 1, God pulls the water from the land, and dry land emerges. Uh, in Joshua, God parts the Jordan River, and the Israelites walk across on dry land. In Exodus, God parts the Red, the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across on dry land. You see, God treads the deep. God silences the waters. Job 38, verses 8 through 11. Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set, and set bars and doors and said, Thus far uh, shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud ways be stayed. Psalm 65, verse 6 and 7. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves. Now, what is happening in a lot of these ancient cultures, they believe that the earth was surrounded by water. 
and that in these waters there are all these water monsters. Everyone believed that except the Israelites because the scriptures teach that the earth is suspended in space. Uh, uh, Job 26, verse 7, he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. But all of these cultures around them still had an influence upon the nation of Israel. So all these other cultures saw these sinister spiritual forces that were out to destroy them. Water had personality. It tried to strike fear into them. The water rages. The water rebels. And so people were afraid of all the ancient evils that the waters held and what they could do. And yet in the scriptures, God speaks directly into this. He shows that he created the waters, that his creation is not bound by the waters, that he controls the water. And his people have nothing to fear from the waters. Like if you go to the ocean, you can stand on the shore and you can scream at the waves, stop, and your feet will get wet. God goes and says, stop, and the waters stand up and they get out of his way. Okay, that's the difference of who he is. And so a lot of this monster theology is very superstitiously in the mindset of the people in Jesus' day. And you think, oh, wow, so super, super superstitious people. They're so dumb. You have them too. You probably got your favorite shoes, or your favorite socks, your favorite underwear, or pen, or pencil, or something. You got, oh, if I write that, things go better when I use this thing. Dummies? That's not how it works. Some of you read the horoscope. Dummies? That's not how it works. That's not how, not how it works. But when you look at these guys, you see Jesus' own disciples had this kind of superstitious thing as well. How do you know? And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. A crazy sea monster ghost has risen out of the turbulent waters that is buffeting our boat, and it's coming to get us. The dread pirate Roberts is here for your souls. (laughs) Thank you, Princess Bride people. Somebody gets it. First service light, two people. Ha. What Jesus does is he comes and he steps into their superstition. A few commentators believe this is exactly what he's doing with here. How do we know? Showing Jesus who really is. I'll show you this. Number one, Jesus is walking on the water. First and foremost, it is beneath him. So in the Old Testament, again, God treads on the waters. He walks on the waters. Job chapter 9, verse 8, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Habakkuk 3.15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This refers to literal and metaphorical waters in a Hebrew mindset. Jesus is emulating God walking on the water. Secondly, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. In Greek, this is be encouraged or don't be afraid, be courageous because I am. I am. Jesus is directly taking God's name from Exodus 3. God is always the great I am, and Jesus does this thing a lot where he takes God's name for himself. John 8, 58, Jesus is debating the Pharisees, and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, Jesus isn't just using bad grammar, like mixing past and present participles. He's taking God's name for himself. He says, I am God. And the Pharisees know exactly what he's saying because they pick up rocks to try and kill him for blasphemy. When the guards come to arrest Jesus after Judas betrays him, they come up and they ask him this question, Are you Jesus of Nazareth? And there's lots of ways Jesus could respond to that, but Jesus says, Ego and me. He says, I am. You know what happens? They fall down. It's like, whoo, breath of God. There's the power of God. Okay, now you can take me in. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting how that takes place. In Matthew 14, Jesus is showing his victory over hostile waters. Number three, Jesus rescues Peter from the waters. says Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. God in the Old Testament is constantly seen rescuing his people from deep waters. Psalm 18, verse 16, he sent, that's the word reached, from on high. He took me, he drew me out of the many, and many can also be translated as deep 
waters. The psalm writer isn't just a drowning man. He's a person being overtaken by a spiritual battle. Psalms 144 verse 7, stretch out your hand from on high, rescue me and deliver me from the many waters. That's what Peter says to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out and rescues him from the waters. Number four, Jesus calms the storm. This is not a coincidence of what takes place. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Jesus has authority over the storms. The first verse we started with, Mark 4, 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The word rebuke there is the same word that's used when Jesus cast out demons. And it essentially means shut up. It's a great word, okay? All the fears you have, all the storms in your life, Jesus is like, shut it. Just shut them down. Psalm 107, verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress, and he made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to the desired haven. What happens right after this? Jesus brings his disciples to the other side of the sea. Who does all this? Jesus does all this. Jesus is victorious over all things. Fifthly, the disciples fall down, and they worship Jesus. Okay? And, and, in, and those in the boat worship him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Every monotheistic Jew knew you were only to worship God alone. That's it. They were confessing Jesus to be God, and Jesus accepts the worship. It's amazing, because at this moment, they knew who he was. Later, they're going to have doubts. They're going to stumble. They're going to fall. They're going to do some crazy things. But at this moment, they know who he was. Who is, who was Jesus? God in the flesh who created the world, who preserves the world, keeps the evil forces at bay. This is one of the most important revelations in the Bible and all of human history. Jesus is the incarnate God, the perfect revelation of God. He is the best coloring book all-star. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That word there means substance. Substance. That's who Jesus is. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In the past, they saw glimpses of God's glory, but it's always mediated through something like a burning bush or a rock or a pillar of fire or a cloud or something like that. When Jesus comes, he is God. There's nothing anymore that separates us from him. Jesus was, is God on display. When God's glory shines, Jesus is the shine. When God loves, Jesus is the love. When you see God face to face, you will see Jesus. He is the image of God, the truth of God, the word of God. He is God revealed in human flesh. John 14, 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how does this all come together? That's what we talked about, right? Acting on what we believe in faith. Do we believe who Jesus revealed himself to be? Do we trust that he was and is the one he said he was? Do we just say those words, or do we believe it enough to act on those? Because if you do begin to act and live in faith, you will start to feel the waters rise. You'll start to feel those horrible creatures that want to overtake your life. And in those moments, do you still trust? Do you walk forward? Do you honor Jesus? Is your faith such that you understand that Jesus has already redeemed you, and He has, and the waters cannot touch you? He is God, and He is good, and He will take you through everything. Today, do you live and walk in a faith knowing that if you didn't matter to Jesus, you wouldn't even be here? 
I mean, that's the truth, that we are called to be his children, that we have great hope in his person. And are you in your life ready to get your eyes off the wind and the waves and your stuff and your comfort and you and you and you and you and simply get your eyes on him and step out of that boat that's held you back for so long? It's imperative that we have a true picture of Jesus and not a false one. This is why we talk about this this morning. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you got, you got Adam and Eve, and the serpent comes up, and he convinces Adam and Eve that God is not who he said he was, that God is not as good as God said that he was. And what you see is that you can't have a faith, a faith relationship with God if you don't trust him. We are people who must trust who we reveal himself to be. So when Jesus shows up and does this on the sea, it's blowing apart all their false images of God. Jesus is God in his essence. Essentially, our whole world is caught in a storm. And we are a people who have faith in who Jesus is, and we represent who he is to the rest of the world. God wants us to know the glory of what it means to walk with him as he treads the waters of this world, and more importantly, as he treads the waters of our lives, all coming down to who he is. And if we have an improper view of who he is, our faith is going to be skewed. It's not going to properly reflect who he is. I mean, it's, this is kind of what we come down to the last few weeks as we talk through this. Because we can keep coming down to these ideas, but that what does our faith actually look like when we live it out? Because it will look like you, your life is lived a certain way because you believe certain things. You have faith. You have faith. It all just depends on what is that faith actually in. Is it in your own comfort? Is it in your ability to make enough money so you can have these things because these things bring you great comfort? What is your faith in? Because we will all live a certain way because we live our faith out in one way or another. And when your faith is truly found fully in the person of Jesus Christ, our lives begin to reflect that. Our lives begin to change to show who he is and what that looks like. And again, it it may be slow, or it may be really fast. It could be you grow really quick in one way and really slow in another way, but, but they all change. We are not saved by our works. We're not saved by the things that we do. We're saved by his work and what he has done. But by having faith in him and our lives being centered on him, our lives will begin to change to reflect more of who he is. I mean, guys, this is one of the reasons that we always talk about communion. Communion is the place where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed for you and me. That when we understand this, we understand what he has done, that God has been faithful all throughout eternity, that God said, I will provide a way for my people. And he is faithful, and he does it. We understand that that promise resulted in Jesus' death on the cross and his ultimate resurrection. We realize that God has always been faithful. Faithful. The band's going to come up, as they do. We invite you guys to take communion, like I said, remembering who God is and what he has done in the person of Christ. There'll be some deacons in the back, and if you guys need prayer, they would love to pray with you. I mean, maybe you're in a spot today where, where you, you know, maybe think faith is just, oh, I believe these things, and it doesn't really have to make a difference in my life. Again, what you have faith in is shown in your life by how you live. So maybe look at what your life looks like. What does it really show that you have faith in? Is it in Jesus or is it in something else? I mean, think about this. Uh, if, if you're a dude, you know, guys like electronic gadgets. I know some of you ladies do too, but nowhere near is like guys. Because guys are like, oh, I mean, it's like, 
I got a friend. He's going to get the iPhone 6S. As many digits as you can get after 6, it's on there, okay? And, and he's like, oh, it's so cool. And it's got this. And it's got touch sensitive. And, it's got, and he's so excited. He's telling everybody about it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's so great. Woo. It, you know. When is the last time we talked about Jesus like that? I mean, seriously. Seriously. Or is it, oh, are you a Christian? Yes. You know, or, you know, I, look, there are some crazy Christians out there. I mean, you see them on the, it, It's like, oh, there's a crazy Christian. We're the news. We'll film that guy. Like, the normal Christian, like, following Jesus and loving they never get like on the news. It's like the crazy wacko that does something stupid. It's like, that's ah, Christians. They're stupid, right? We need to be people who reclaim the name Christian, who reclaim the name of Christ in what we do. So we live it in a way that Jesus is on display in our lives. When we understand who he is fully and our faith is centered in him our lives do begin to look different we're left self-obsessed and self-absorbed and we actually begin to live in and for the kingdom of god jesus calling us he has saved us and he is great and he is good uh, there's offering boxes inside and one on the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is be part of that worship. Uh, we do not pass a plate. It's a response to what he has done because worship is sacrificed, and it's about response. Uh, there's food in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat, maybe talk to some other people. It's one of the reasons we stress gospel community so strongly here because we believe that you need friends in your life that come alongside you and speak the gospel into your life and says, hey, you know, if you really love Jesus and your life is centered on him, you know, how is your life changing? How does it look different? You know, because Jesus has loved us. We should become a people who love him back. That's simply how it is. Our God is good and he is gracious. And he has provided a way for all of us to know and live and walk in him. Uh, let's pray. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for freeing us um, that we can experience doubt and have questions and Rest in the fact that our salvation lies in you and, and not on our own understanding or right belief. And God, I pray that you would grow our trust and our faith in you each day. That that would result from us understanding your character more and more. 